Take your Bible this morning to uh, Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. I would like to uh, replicate what uh, Brother Larry did last Sunday. I enjoyed that. Will we read responsibly? That means that we'll stand in a moment, and then you read. A, I'll read a verse, and you read a verse with me down to verse 9. I really enjoyed that, him doing that. I, if you don't mind, I'd like to do that again. So Psalms chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Let's all stand if you're ready. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is in thy name in all the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the word of God and we thank you that uh, you care for us. We thank you for this church and what a great church that we have. I pray you bless us this morning. As we, we pray that you'll be with us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice that verse in verse 4. And this is a verse that stayed with me all week long. For several weeks, I've been thinking about this verse. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that visiteth him? That's a remarkable statement that God is mindful to us. Amen. You know, this trap chapter was written by David, and uh, of, you know, David of Goliath fame. And uh, he was, as a young man, as a young teenage boy, he was a sheep herder. And he would take care of the sheep all by himself. And he spent many nights alone watching the sheep, and, and uh, many nights laying uh, on the ground in uh, his, uh, the sleeping bags of the era, I guess, and looking up at the stars and, uh, and, uh, and the moon. And he would sit and watch them as they would move uh, in, the star, in the sky, in the heavens. And, uh, and he wrote this psalm either then or maybe a few years later as he remembered these moments and, uh, and he's laying there marveling at the majesty of God's creation. Now, I, uh, have you ever 
spent time doing something like that? Have you ever just laid out side somewhere where it's dark and uh, and just by yourself and you're alone to your own thoughts and you just lay down and or just sit down and just contemplate the things in the in the stars and the Milky Way and all things. Have you ever done that? And when I was young, uh, we lived on a, out in the country. My dad had a uh, about several acres of land. He had a great big yard, and the road uh, went down in front of our house, and it was probably uh, uh, 50 yards out from the house, and went down that down to the right a little ways. And down in the corner, the it, the yard kind of sloped, and then it would kind of right go the road. It got a little steeper, and right there was a mulberry tree. And several times in when I was young, I would sneak out because I had three sisters and a brother and uh, it's kind of loud in the house. And so I'd get away from everybody and I'd go down there and look and just lay there and look up the sky, lay on the moist grass and just look up the sky and think. And uh, sometimes, not very often, but sometimes you would see the uh, Aurora Borealis. I think that's how you pronounce it. You ever see that from down here? I don't think it, I think it's too far away down here. But every once in a while you'd see it, or the Northern Lights, we called it up there. And, uh, and it was just a marvel to look at it. You know, and now I want to ask you a question. When you're laying out there in the, in the yard or wherever it was that you were camping or whatever, and you're by yourself and you're looking at all that, how did that make you feel? To me, it made me feel insignificant. It made me feel small compared to the, the universe that's out there. Did it make you feel that way? That's the way it made me feel. Like I was, who am I? And that's what David is saying. Who am I laying here? And he recognizes the majesty of God's creation. Now, how can we, when you, in that situation and you're laying there and marveling at the majesty of God's creation, listen, how can we say that there is no God? Amen. You know, I have read that people say if we would just take time to do something like that and marvel at the, at the, uh, ex, uh, the majesty of God's creation, a lot of our doubts would go away. Yeah. Just for, and then when David frames this chapter, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now he, he says that at the first verse and the last verse of this chapter. And so David is sitting there and he says, yeah, there's God and he's our Lord. Now let's just put this in our mind this morning. I don't know what everybody believes about God, but let's just say that there is a God. And let's just say since there is a God, that this God is a creator of all things. 
And if he is God and he is the Lord and he is the creator of all things, let's just, that means that the Bible is true. If there is a God and he is the creator, that means the book that we have in front of us is God's gift to us, the word of God. Now, here in this chapter, with that in mind, that God is God, he is the creator of all things, and what was my third thing? The Bible is true. Now, there's three things we learn in these verses. Number one is that the gods create, had created the heavens. In verses three, verse three, it says, When I considered the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained. Now, the word ordained there means to appoint or to set apart for a purpose. When a preacher, a pastor, a man is ordained into the ministry, he's ordained for a purpose to serve God and to preach the gospel. Now, we see here that the heavens, when you look up in the heavens, God has, endure, has ordained the heavens for a purpose. He has ordained the moon to, uh, I didn't know this, to stabilize, I guess the earth has got a wobble. And the moon stabilizes the earth. You know, like when you have a car and you got a wobble, you need a tire balanced. The moon is that balances the earth somehow. Not only that, that the, the moon moderates the, the, uh, the weather and the temperature on the planet. Not only that, but it, it uh, has an effect on the ocean. So here we have the earth with the moon goes around it, but God ordained it for a purpose. It's just not hanging there. It's doing God's will. Then we see the stars. Now, we, one of the missionaries gave a great lesson on, on the stars about the North Star and the Southern Cross. That was very interesting. But, you know, the, the sun is a star. Could you imagine what our world would be like without the sun? It allows plants to grow and plants and trees create oxygen. And we have to have oxygen to live. To live. And so the sun is a star. It has, a, it has it's just the exactly right distance from the earth for it to, to, to work and provide for us the things that we need. So, so we see here that God's creation, he created the heavens and the stars and the moon for a purpose. You notice he, David doesn't talk about the sun because he's talking at night. He's looking at the stars at night. The second, look in verse 4. We see God's creation in man. It says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that visiteth him. Now here's the God that created all things. Created the four billion stars. And many constellations and many planets. And, and it's hard for us to fathom the things that God has created. But God is mindful to us. 
So many times politicians look at uh, their constituencies and their, the people of our nation as just a group. Or, uh, or uh, corporations, they try to sell things to a certain group. And in sports, you, uh, we just finished the World Series and thousands of people went to a certain place and it was a great crowd of people. But God looks at us as individuals, not a group. God knows each and every one of us by name. He knows your name. It says in Isaiah 43, 1, O Israel, he's talking to Jacob here, not the nation. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. God knows your name. Now, I'm glad I'm not God because I, I forget names all the time. And I act like I know them, but I don't. You ever do that? You meet somebody, yeah, hey, how you doing? What in the world's his name? But you know, God knows your name. You know what? We may feel small or insignificant, but God knows who you are. God knows everything about you. And the, you look in the mirror and you be honest and you look at yourself and you say, this is me. But the Bible teaches God created you and made you exactly who you are. Right? He made me bald-headed. I think I don't think God did that. I think being married to a woman and to have two daughters, I think that's what made me bald headed. <laughs> you know, God sees you. You're not just a, a a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever. To God, you're an individual, and God knows exactly who you are. You know, another thing that God knows about us is that he knows our needs. He knows everything that you need. And many times he supplies your need before you even ask for it because he knows what your need is. Debbie and I were, and my girls were traveling back from Chicago from a, a Bible, a Bible college on a really cold January day. And they were warning people, and being an idiot, they was warning people not to get on the highways because it was so cold and the wind was so strong. I mean, the, uh, the uh, chill factor was way below zero. But me, being an idiot, I said, let's go home. I'm so homesick. So we left on a Sunday morning and came home we was, we was down by Kentland, Indiana. I don't know if any of you know where that's at, but it's a real flat area. Corn, corn and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the wind was blowing. I had a Ford pickup, and it had a, you know, a five-speed, four-speed with an overdrive. And I was going down the road, and the wind was so strong, my clutch went out. I mean, it was free. Here I had my wife and two young girls in there with me and was on this lonely highway, no cars coming, and it's freezing out. 
And me and Debbie said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And my daughter, Jenny, said, let's pray. She just bowed her head and started praying. And I think, and just right then, a semi pulled behind us, and a state trooper pulled in front of us, just when she started praying. And so I got out, and in the state, I got in the car, and boy, I was bundled up. I had a scarf over my head, and I had a big hat on, and everything. And you couldn't, you know, like I was like a Muslim. You know, I had hijab or one of the women wear. I had one of those things around here. You couldn't see, just see my eyes. And I got inside that uh, state trooper's car. And the guy, and this trooper started talking. There was another guy in there, and this trooper talked, talk, and I said, man, I, that voice sounds familiar. And I started take, uh, doing my uh, turban, and uh, I said, Keith? He turned around. It was Keith Gill, a guy I grew up with, out in the middle of nowhere. And so, listen, what I'm saying is, God put him in the place that I, he knew I was going to need that. And he put him right there where I was going to be with truck trouble. And we were in danger. Isn't that something? See, God knows your need. He knows your name. He knows your need. You know, another thing that God knows is that he knows we're flesh. That means that God knows that we're weak. And it's, God knows it's hard for us to say no to temptation. And it's hard for us to say no to the wrong crowd. It's hard for us to say no to the temptations of this world. He knows that we're weak. So many times people say, oh, I go to church, but I've done so much wrong. God doesn't love me because I'm so, so far away from him. God knows that you are. And God knows that we are susceptible to that. And he accepts and loves you anyway. He knows who are he knows the power of temptation. He knows who our enemy is. And so when we fall and falter and fail, God says, I knew it was going to happen, but it's not your fault. He's made that way. I remember one time we was at Montezuma, town that I grew up in. It's on the Wabash River, about uh, 20 miles north of Terre Haute, 60 miles straight west of uh, Indianapolis. And uh, Debbie had Sarah in the truck at the Tasty Fruits. And Sarah was a thumb sucker. And she, some, she had this blanket and the uh, and uh, sucked her thumb, and that blanket started out a great big humor. And when Sarah was a young teenager, that blanket was about this big. <laughs> and she sucked her thumb. Debbie still sucks her thumb sometimes. <laughs> Debbie was a thumb sucker too. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, Sarah was sucking her thumb, and she fell out of the window of the truck, and she bit her the fatty part of her thumb off. And, uh, man, we freaked out and rushed her to the doctor and all them kind of things. And the point is, listen, children's going to be children. 
and they make a mistake, do I just say, hey, get out of here. You're so stupid, you bit your own thumb off. Am I going? Man, we lovingly carried her and cared for her and brought her to the one that could help her. And listen, if you're far away from God and you made mistakes, don't you know that God knows it? And he knows that we're flesh. And he cares for you. And he is willing to help you overcome it. Isn't that true? Not only that, it just didn't surprise him. Now notice in verse 4 it says, and thou visited him. It says, you know, he says, he says here, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that visited him? And notice, and thou visited, not only did God know you, but he involved in your life. He knows where you live. He knows where you work. He's with you when you drive. He's with you every part of your life. God is working things out in your life to help you get to the place where you're right with him again. Now, God is bringing people or circumstances in your life to make us hungry for God. Now, we see that with stone, and we see that with other people, how God allows circumstances in our life not to punish, but just to bring us to him because God is working in our lives. Has there ever been somebody in your life that came by at the right time and said to you something and you just encouraged you and it helped you turn your life around? Or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a church, some people, a circumstance that came into your life. And it was God dealing with you. Because God not only knows you, he deals with your life. When, uh, you know, he answers our prayers. He hears you when we pray. I think I've told this story before, but, and I know that, uh, who's that that taught Sunday school this morning? What was his name? <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Charlie. When, uh, I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> uh, this morning, uh, I'm getting seen off. Was I, walk, I walked back and forth. I walked to a tent kitchen, and I was looking for something. And by the time I got to the kitchen, I forgot what I was looking for. So I went back into my room, my office, and I worked a little while. Oh, there, I had to go all the way back in there. You ever do that? <laughs> When uh, and God answers our prayers, and uh, I remember, oh, I know why I said Charlie, because Charlie talks about when I talked about a book I was writing about animals. We used to have a dog named Bones. He was a red bone coon dog, and uh, he was something else. I mean, he was something. I mean, he was. I could tell you a bunch of stories about this dog, but and uh, what. Well, Bones got uh, excited about the, the big lights in Montezuma. It was on town, not even a stoplight in that town. I mean, it was just 1,500 people. But he would run all the way to town, about three miles, 
and he would go outside the IGA and bark at people as they come in and out. <laughs> and then the, uh, my cousin, Mike, would bring him home. He'd see him down there, and he'd load him up in the truck and bring him in. A few days later, he'd run all the way to town, be out in front of the grocery store barking at people. Well, one day he never came back, and, uh, and somebody took him. And boy, my girls were devastated. And they, and they prayed, and every night when they would pray, they'd say, please bring Bones home. And uh, so one day, Debbie, about six months later, Debbie was, and her friend Rhonda was in Clinton, which Clinton was about 12 miles. You had to cross the Wabash River and go over to the uh, 60, or 41 and then go to Clinton. 65, go to Clinton. And uh, Debbie and Rhonda did some shopping and they was going down this side road and there was a tasty freeze in Clinton also and driving along and a big red dog running in front of them. And Debbie says, Bones! And she, it was Bones. It was that dog. And, and she brought the, it was just unbelievable. And God answered those girls' prayers. I mean, can you imagine it? Being at the right time, at the right moment, the dog crosses the road in a town 12 miles away, a town of about six, 7,000 people. And, the, and here's Debbie at the right time. See, God did that. Answered the prayers of them little girls. And God could do the same thing because he knows you. He cares for you. God knew that that dog meant a lot to my two girls. He answered their prayer. Amen? You are important to God. Listen to me. You are so important to God that that he gave the most important thing that most important thing that he had for you. You know what? You ever think, you parents, if your children got to the place where uh, they had a cancer or something, and it's going to cost thousands more money than you had, and more that the insurance would pay? Several times, I would think I would sell everything I had. And I would start over just so my children would be well. You know what? God considers you one of his. And he would do anything to bring you back to himself or me. Matter of fact, God gave the most important thing he had, which is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because see, we are sinners. And then we have broken God's law. And when we break God's law, there are consequences. if you robbed a bank, there's consequences. Well, there used to be. Consequences for robbing the bank. Right? I mean, uh, Clay knows about it. He's probably been robbed several banks, and he knows all about that. <laughs> Maybe 10 years in prison. But when you break God's law, there's consequences to that. And the Bible says that it's death. 
when any sin that we commit, it's death or an eternal separation from God when you die. But God loved us so much and he cares for us so much that he gave his own son to die for us. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus was on the cross, he took all our sins, every person who's ever lived, who's living now, and will live. Christ took all that debt upon himself, and he paid it on the cross. So we, God looks at us like we've never sinned because Jesus paid the debt for us. That's how much God loves you. Amen? The third thing here we see is creation, the dominion over all things. Look in verses 6 through 8. Now, listen, don't go out and say that Clay robbed a bunch of banks. It was only one or two. It wasn't a bunch of them. <laughs> now look in verse 6 it said thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen yea the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever pass, passes through the paths of the seas you know not only does God, the uh, creator of the heavens and the creator of man, but he, he's creator of all things that live on this earth. And we are put in dominion of that. And what that means is, is that every day fishermen leave the ports to go out and put their nests down to draw in fish. That's their dominion. You see what I'm saying? Every day, teachers. I wonder if you ever had a boy like me in school. I don't know. Spit wads and you ever run into those? I ran into I was an ordinary one, I'll tell you. <laughs> teachers enter the classroom with the knowledge that God has given them. Loggers go into the forest and bring down trees so we can have lumber and furniture. Farmers work in the fields so we can have uh, food that we eat. Miners go into the ground and bring up the ore so we can have steel and coal and all the things that God has given us. Drillers drill down through the earth to bring up oil. Restaurants serve our food and groceries uh, stores meet our needs and cars and planes transport us because man has used the intelligence he's given us and given us dominion over all these things so we can do things with it and provide for ourselves and there's nothing greater listen to me young people listen to me now there is nothing greater in life than working and providing and paying your bills and using your ability to be a, a person that provides with what God has given us. You can tell I'm kind of lost here. But amen, you know what I'm saying? Amen. 
I think the reason that young people are so lost is that they lost the idea of how glorious it is to work hard. There's glory in that. And that's why God gave us dominion over all those things. Don't let these idiots on the East Coast and the West Coast say, well, you're nothing unless you go to college. That's a bunch of baloney. If you're a hard worker and you provide, there's nothing greater in the world. There's nothing more spiritual than working hard. You agree with that? Now, God had given us all of that. Now, put yourself in his place. You see the majesty that God has provided in his creation. He knows you, and he knows your weaknesses, and he still loves you. He knows your enemy, and he knows the temptation. He's involved in your life, and he provides for you. My question to you this morning is, would you accept his plan for you? Would you, ex- would you accept into your own life God's plan for your life? I mean, I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know for sure that if you died that you'd go to heaven. You don't know that. Yeah, you went to church sometime and you did this or that, but you, do you know for sure that if you died that you would go to heaven? That's what God wants more than anything else. That right there. And he was willing to give his son so you could know that. Let's all stand, please. Their heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around, just praying. Put yourself in that position of David looking up the stars, the majesty of uh, what God's created. I wonder if anybody be here tonight or this morning and would say, Brother Jerry, I don't know if I died that I would go to heaven. I just don't know. Would you raise your hand and pray? Would you raise your hand? Preacher, that's me. I just don't know. Please don't be embarrassed. Just raise your hand and say, I don't know, preacher. I just don't know. I see a hand back there. I see this young man here. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. We all went through that. But God loves you. And he wants you in his life. Listen, if you raised your hand, look at me right now. I want you to stand up and look at me. Here's what I want you to do. If you're serious and you mean it with all your heart, here's what I'd like for you to do. You're going to bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've done wrong. And I've broken your laws. I ask you to forgive me my sins. And come into my heart and be my own personal Savior. And I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. Did you pray that prayer with me just now? Would you raise your hand and say, I prayed that with you. Anybody else? I see your hand here. See that? Amen. Here's what I'd like you to do in just a second. 
I'd like for you to, if you raise your hand and said that prayer, I'd like for you to step out of your aisle, your, your seat, and come down here to the front, to this pew over here. Would you do that? Would you do that guy in the back and these two young boys? This young, this man here? Do we have a, Clay, would you come up and pray with these? And uh, uh, Glenn, would you come up and pray, just sit over here and pray with a couple of guys here? And uh, brother over here? Yeah, a couple of things. And this man here, go over there with Clay, right there, that guy, that bank robber right there. Isn't that a great thing? Amen. Listen to me. Are you away from God now? I mean, you're running with the wrong crowd and or, or uh, doing things and the temptations got to you. Don't feel bad. God knows that he understands. He knows who your enemy is and he knows the temptation. He will not, he will not make you feel guilty. Because he loves you. If my kids, my kids have done wrong. But they're always welcome home with me. Amen. And you're always welcome home with God. Let's be seated, please, as we. This is. Uh, uh, Johnny, want to stand? This is Johnny. Want to stand up, Johnny? This Johnny uh, Woodruff. He got saved this morning, and uh, he's one of my employees or my associates. You're not supposed to say employee anymore. Associate. And this is uh, Billy over here, one of my employees, associates, and young man over here. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. As they are praying with these folks right now, and we appreciate the Lord, what he's doing in these lives. Isn't that wonderful? And we thank the Lord for it, that these folks that came this morning and they're asking the Lord into their heart and their life. As you're praying right now, let's think here. Have you ever had a hangnail? Ever had one of those? That little hangnail. It bothers everything on the body, doesn't it? Even God knows when you have a hangnail. He knows everything about us. He created everything about us, and we're so thankful for it. So everyone's standing again, and we're going to pray together. And then these men, these folks are being talked to. We'll deal with them. And again, let's thank the Lord for what he's done here this morning. Thank you, Brother Market. Appreciate that uh, this morning and in your message today to remind us that God is mindful of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for what you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for your message and the messenger today. I pray, Lord, right now for these are being dealt with. Lord, help them. Help them to see their need of the Savior. I pray, dear Lord, that you would bring us all back here tonight, praising you, looking forward to what you have for us. In your holy and precious name, amen. Remember, men, please sign up, if you would, for the appointments for Brother Robert. We appreciate that as you go out. And let's ask the Lord's blessings on our day today. Be back tonight.